learning to be a funnier boss, the toys of our youth, and why you need to stop saying you have an open door policy. It's all next on Boss Better Now. You're listening to Boss Better Now. Please welcome speaker, author, and 80s hairband aficionado, Joe Mall. Rock on, boss heroes. Welcome to the show. Turn up the radio. It's the final countdown. We are the youth gone wild, and you are a motley crew of talented, devoted boss heroes. And though most days it seems like we're living on a prayer, we're not going to take it anymore. We'll ride this crazy train together, a journey that is as rewarding as it is twisted, sister. Welcome to the jungle. Pour some sugar on me, and thanks again for being with us. Please give it up for my co-host, who wants to rock and roll all night and party every day, Alyssa Mullet. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Already my cheeks hurt uh, from smiling so much, and... Uh, only you can pull that off and actually make it the entire way through that creative beautifulness that you just laid on us. I, I feel like you you use the word the phrase "pull it off" quite liberally there. I'm not sure that's what happened. <laughs> well, I felt it. It, it, it. I yearn for the 80s. I really feel like I should have been a teenager in the 80s and I wasn't. And I'm sad about that. The 80s were so awesome. They were. And and they're coming back, though. I'm not sure if you've noticed this. There's kind of some 80s nostalgia happening right now that people are bringing back the big hair and the leg warmers. It's out there. I have the leg warmers on right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't care if they were like in or not because I like them. No, I love them. So rock on. I love the 80s. Love it. There does seem to be a correlation between an increase in maturity and a decrease in caring whether our choices are fashionable. (laughs) The the two are are definitely uh, <laughs> related. Yes, yes. So, do you have a a favorite band from the eighties? The reason that that I was described as an eighties hairband aficionado is because um, my consistently my favorite channel on satellite radio is Hair Nation. It's the eighties hairband channel. Um, that's the one I just kind of go to the most when I I'm driving somewhere or want to listen to music. Um, even my kids are like, "Oh, great, more eighties music," and they're like ten and eight, um, and they probably know more eighties music than any other genre for that reason. Because but I'll bounce between that station and the eighties on eight, uh, which is another favorite of mine. Uh, but is there a favorite uh, music musician or or song from the eighties that speaks to you, Alyssa? Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is Chicago. Mm. Um, love uh, any number of their songs, but I am not like I am so music un uh, bias. <laughs> let's say I, I just I love any like you turn. I just tell Alexa. Oh God, I 
spoke it too loud. Sorry, folks. Uh, <laughs> I tell the A lady, uh-huh. play this, right? And she does. And I just could keep streaming it all day long and, and love every single artist. You're album. musically agnostic, right? You you like music, but you, you don't devote yourself to one particular brand or denomination. That is exactly how I should describe myself. Yes, that is it. That is absolutely it. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to have a little bit of an 80s theme to our show here today, especially when I'm talking about our camaraderie question of the week. But I want to start today uh, with what I'm calling the myth of the open door policy. And this is a conversation that I've had a lot with leaders all over the country when we talk about how you create an environment for ongoing dialogue to occur between bosses and their direct reports. When Mm -hmm. I ask folks, what are the things that you do and say to create an environment where people can give input, give feedback, uh, come and talk to you, come and ask questions, get support? Inevitably, one of the first things that someone says is, well, I have an open door policy. I tell folks, you know, you can come to me anytime for anything, no matter what. And this is such a widely held belief that this is a good thing to say to our teams uh, that I felt like we should talk about it on the podcast because don't misunderstand. Okay, that, that is a good thing to say to your teams. You should tell your teams, hey, you can come to me anytime for any reason, please. Uh, even though there may be times when you can't accommodate them. There may be times when you have to close your door. But that's not the reason that the idea of the open door policy is a myth. I, th- I think when we say we have an open door policy, the intention is good, right? But we actually are creating some barriers to people openly communicating. And the first reason is because when you announce to your team that you have an open door policy and you want folks to come to you anytime you have any questions, any needs, any issues, the first thing you've done is immediately transfer the responsibility for that kind of communication from yourself to your team. Yep, absolutely. That's the first thing that came to my mind too is, and I know, you know, when I was in the corporate realm, I I absolutely fell for that myth thinking, oh, you know, they'll walk in if they need something. Um, and again, but that's not their responsibility. It starts with me being able to tune into those needs, right? Hopefully get so darn tootin' good at knowing them that I preemptively can anticipate what their needs or what their concerns might be and speak to that before they need to come to me or they feel like they're bound to come to me. Yes, yes. And, you know, and I think whether it's intentional or not, when a leader says, I have an open door policy, it's, it's kind of a cop out. There, there's this, I'm setting up this catch-all funnel for any complaints, any questions, any issues that I expect them to trigger, hmm. that I myself am not going to be actively making sure I tune into. You know, My job as a leader needs to be to keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on 
with all of the people that I am responsible for. And I can't really do that if I'm just sitting and waiting for people to bring me their observations or questions or problems. I, when you're talking about that, the dynamic that comes up for me is this, um, the power over, right? Um, and it's escaping me what the converse of that is, like what we're supposed to, <laughs> it's not power over, it's power with, I think. I don't know what the exact terminology is, but this thought pattern that you're here behind this door, but you've opened it. So therefore mm. you hold the, the power of what they need is through that door and they must come through that door in order to get or obtain some of that power. Right. And obviously none of us are consciously doing that, you know, or maybe there are some people that that's one of the reasons why they're a boss. Right. But you got to acknowledge that whether it's conscious or not, that is the one of the spirits of that dynamic that you're creating by simply absolving yourself of looking for them rather than them looking for you. Absolutely. And, and I think that this is another reason why the intention is good, but the execution doesn't work that way. I think a lot of leaders say I have an open door policy in an effort to tear down some of those power obstacles that people will perceive to say, no, my, my office is a place that you can come into whenever you have a need, whenever you have a question. Uh, but there are folks who never will because of the power dynamic. They don't think it's their place. They would never it would never occur to them to interrupt the boss and what he or she was doing, because he or she is busy, with mm. an observation, with a question. Now, there are people who do. There are people who do 14 times a day, and you know, <laughs> you know who those folks are. And for them, the power dynamic isn't the issue, but there are some folks you will never hear from because of the power dynamic. So if you're saying... I have an open door policy in an effort to reduce the power obstacle, that's a little naive because mm -hmm. there are some folks for whom you never can reduce the power obstacle. What I suggest is you lean into it. So the, the, the inverse here of the open door policy, which is um, come and tell. Right. If you mm -hmm. haven't, if you tell your folks you have an open door policy, you've created a structure where the expectation is you come and tell me your question, your thought, your observation, your problem. The inverse of that is go and ask. Mm. So we got to stop doing expecting come and tell, but we instead have to go and ask, which is why, you know, we counsel leaders to do rounds, to work in the trenches alongside their employees, to set up time for recurrent one-on-one -on -one meetings. That's you going to that person intentionally with a question and inviting their reaction. And so when I say we're leaning into the power dynamic, what we're doing is saying, yeah, you are required to have one-on-ones with me because I care about your input, your ideas, your challenges. That's why we have to reach for the inverse. We can't ask people to come and tell. We've got to go and ask, and we can use our power for good in that way. I love that uh, that thought pattern, uh, the inverse, which is go and ask. What do you say to the folks that then would 
maybe say that that is micromanaging. If I go and ask, Mm -hmm. they're going to think that I'm trying to see exactly what they're doing, how they're doing it. And there's this whole other dynamic, right, Mm -hmm. that goes into they're always around and they're always looking and they're trying to micromanage me. What do you say to bosses that are concerned about that aspect of going and asking. Right. Well, the first thing we have to do is is be explicit about our intention, right? If you're out there working alongside folks, it should be because you want to pitch in during busy times or so that you can relieve the pressure off of the other folks who are out there doing that work. It's not to lurk, right? And mm-hmm. it's not to gather intel. Uh, the other thing that you want to do in terms of being clear about your intention, uh, being explicit about it, is saying... I care about your opinion. I, I want to hear from you. I know that it's not always easy to walk into my office. I know that oftentimes you may not even know you have an opinion about something until somebody asks. And so when I come to you with a question, when I'm trying to mine you for your opinion, uh, it's not evaluative. I'm not trying to play gotcha. You're not being quizzed. It's because the only way I can advocate for you in the organization is if you're able to be a mirror reflecting things back to me, you're reflecting back to me the challenges that you encounter because of the chair that you sit in and the work that you do and the people you interact with. And I can't possibly know what all of that is and then go off and and advocate for you to get what you need to be good at that unless we have an open line of communication. And I want you to know that I take responsibility for that open dialogue. I would hope that if you have a problem or a question or an issue that you would feel comfortable enough coming to me, but I'm busy and so are you. So I'm going to make sure that I'm making time to check in, whether that's the chats we have while working alongside each other or these recurrent one-on-one meetings or huddles, et cetera. Folks, you're going to want to put a pause or make a note or somehow otherwise come back to Every bit of solid gold that Joe has just <laughs> said. You rewind that, go, you know, hit that button that says 10 seconds, 20 seconds, boop, boop, keep hitting it and commit that to your memory so that those words can flow out of your mouth in an authentic way. That changes everything when you can be that clear about your intentions, that explicit about your care of what they have to say and your commitment to being there for them. And the reason we're able to do that, if, if, if we're going to be clear about our intention, that's tied to our values, right? So if you decide that one of your values is to be an advocate for your employees, if advocacy is a core value, then you don't need the script. You you don't need to go to bossbetternowpodcast.com and and click on episode eight and look at the transcript of everything that I just said and cut and paste it because you're going to go say the same thing. It's already in there. That's a core value. You want to advocate for your folks. You can just sit, sit around and take a moment and think, how do I make my value explicit and communicate that to my folks? Awesome. Awesome stuff, Joe. And that's what I call the myth 
why I call it the myth of the open door policy. We think we're doing a good thing, but we're actually creating some barriers for ourselves. Instead of expecting your folks to come and tell, the best bosses go and ask. Now, folks, we want to hear from you. So there are a couple ways you can do that. You can go to bossbetternowpodcast.com and leave comments underneath each of the episodes. You can go to the Boss Better Now Podcast Facebook page, where you can also leave comments, ask questions, and tell us what you think. You can also follow me on social media, on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at JoeMull77. We'd love to hear from you. We may periodically use your comments and observations on the air because that makes our show better. Hearing from you and involving you makes our show better. And of course, you can email email us anytime, bossbetternow at gmail.com. And so we arrive yet again, yet again, Alyssa, to our camaraderie question of the week. And in the spirit of our 80s theme, so I'm a child of the 80s, I'm, I'm about to turn 44. And so my answer to this question is going to be very 80s. Camaraderie question of the week is a question that we ask to our teams so that people can find things in common with each other. We know that when you give people the opportunity to find things in common with each other, we nurture camaraderie. So our camaraderie question of the week is this. What toy most defined your childhood? I have a prop, Joe. And so for those of you who are listening, anytime you'd like to jump on over to the YouTube channel and watch, this will be a nice little visual for you. I'm going to hold it up and see if Joe can guess <gasps> what this is, if he can see. Oh, yes. there you go. If okay. you're not watching, she just held up Rainbow Bright. Uh, is that a plate? <laughs> it is. It's a little metal plate. <laughs> and I even have a little cup here, okay? Um, Ooh. But this was part of a larger set of dishes and pots and pans of my childhood that I spent hours out in the front yard in the the flower beds making the most beautiful delicious mud pies <laughs> that were ever to be had in the kitchen of <laughs> rainbow bright dishes and pots and pans it was the biggest memory I have from childhood is putting on my own little cooking show with my rainbow bright dishes. Now, were other family members involved either as guests or playmates in, in that rainbow bright memory? Absolutely not. No. It starred me for me. <laughs> it, <laughs> it was all about me. So was the... What appealed to you about it? Was it the tea set or was it Rainbow Bright? Um, okay, so it was definitely not like the whole tea thing. It was it was more about the functionality of being in control of this was whatever I wanted to make. And I would sprinkle it with pine cones and like... It, it was the whole process of being creative. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I liked Rainbow Bright, but I'm not even sure I remember like the shows or anything. I think I yeah. did have like a Rainbow Bright doll and all, but 
it was, it could have been like, you know, Alf and dishes. And I, I would have probably had the same like kinship to it, maybe. So you got lost in the creativity that was spurred by the playset. Yes, indeed, Lee. In your imagination. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I love so that you excited. still have it. I love, I mean, I, I don't have any of the toys from so, growing up. Uh, this is, you know, this and purses are like my thing. Like, that's what I, I grew up with. Like, these are the only things that I still have. You know, and I, I, they sit on my son's bookcase. Um, he's not really that into Rainbow Bright. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> he's not making mud pies with the Rainbow Bright stuff in the front yard. <laughs> oh, I'm not letting him take these outside. These are mine. <laughs> Maybe you're making the mud pies in the front yard and you're inviting him. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. A throwback to the good old days. I can't wait to hear yours because you had to have been such a creative, imaginative child. And I can only imagine what the toys that you found pleasure and entertainment in. Okay. Tell me. Uh, my childhood was defined by one toy above all others. And here's what's funny is I didn't bring it with me. I don't, I didn't bring a prop with me and I didn't realize that I could, I, or even think, Hey, I should hold it up, you know, on our, our uh, video episodes here on YouTube uh, or show it to you. But guess what? It's here with me all the time. Oh my God. <gasps> so if you are watching on YouTube in the background of my boss better set is Optimus Prime. Uh, and I'm a, I was a Transformers nut. So I grew up running home from like fourth grade, third and fourth grade and turning the TV on and watching the Transformers cartoon show back yes. in like 84 and 85 and became obsessed with the Transformers. And uh, because the Transformers really are, are, it, it's a pretty clear good versus evil kind mm -hmm. of story. The Autobots are the good guys. They want to protect the sanctity of human life. They defend the weak and powerless. And the, the Decepticons, Decepticons are the yeah. bad guys. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I have been a fan of them my whole life. I have... Um, I don't have a lot of the toys from when I was a kid. I wish I did. Many of them are worth, whew, they're worth something now. Um, I remember I always asked for Transformers for every holiday, every birthday, every Christmas. Um, I remember one year for Easter, I left the Easter bunny a note that I wanted a Transformer in my Easter basket. And when I got up on Easter Sunday and I found my basket, there was a Transformer in it. And I thought I had cracked the code. Oh. You got to leave a note. I was convinced <laughs> as a kid that I had figured out the cheat code to getting exactly what you wanted on Easter morning. And so I remember so clearly the next year leaving another note and asking for something specific. And I didn't get that. And I was like, something is broken with the world. I don't know why it didn't work this time. <laughs> you know what that makes me think of is can you say something is broken in the world? Like the, the reality of a show like the Transformers and what you said was good versus bad, very clear, right? Mm -hmm. There's no gray in that world. And you had utter clarity when it surrounded that show and what you, what you needed, what you got, you just did this and 
the instant it became a little less clear, that's whenever it was like, wait, something is wrong with the entire world uh, now. Yes. <laughs> we the like balance. that as kids, don't we? We like clarity and an understanding of how the world works. And when that is called into question in some way, uh, our, the, the, the ground is shifting underneath our feet and we are unsteady. Isn't that like, whoa. I mean, we're talking Transformers and Rainbow Bright here, but oh my goodness, people, if we think about this, the world is off balance because right now, the good versus the bad, all of these things, we would love to be able to put it all into those nice, neat little categories, right? Yes. That's not the way humanity works. You know, it's funny because what I remember about growing up at that time is that there were there were two dominant toy brands, Transformers and G.I. Joe. And as a as a boy, as a kid, you were either a Transformers kid or a G.I. Joe kid. Right. Uh, and, and I was a Transformers kid. And one of the other friends I had in the neighborhood, he was a G.I. Joe kid. And so we'd get together and play. And um, but they're both under the same construct. Right. G.I. Joe. Mm -hmm versus cobra right good versus evil fighting mm -hmm. to protect values and and the weak versus taking over the world and in pursuit of power um these are the same constructs that exist in kids shows everywhere right in all the superhero wow. stories and all the comic books uh and it, it's interesting to think about that that way that in a way we're helping create easy constructs for kids to gravitate toward to understand the world around them they may not always mm -hmm. be accurate but at, at as a starting point for development, it's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah, I, I think that that's that's so true. Is that you know it may not always be accurate. You're it's ninety nine times out of ten as we are now faced with every day. A lot of it is in the gray. There's yeah. not just like this versus this and the instant you call this bad or this side evil or whatever, then then we got a whole other different side of yeah. problems that we got to deal with, but we got to start somewhere. And childhood is the great equalizer where we get to say, yeah, this was good. And I believed in it and it did this for me. And I love the transformers too, but rainbow brights where it's at, man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our camaraderie question of the week. I'd love to hear from you. Tell us about your favorite toy growing up. What toy defined your childhood? Stop by our Boss Better Now podcast webpage or the Boss Better Now Facebook page and let us know. In the meantime, I want to end today uh, and talk a little bit about an article that I came across recently uh, called Why Humor in the Workplace is Just What You Need Right Now. Uh, this was on weforum.org, and we will link to this article, the full article, uh, on the bossbetternowpodcast.com webpage. Just click on this episode uh, to get to that link. And it's not going to come as any kind of surprise that, hey, humor is an important dynamic in the workplace. But what I thought was really kind of fun and interesting about this article was the underlying research. There were two Stanford University academics who examined the effects of laughter in the workplace. Uh, and they concluded that it makes us both better bosses and better employees. And this was a, a huge study, millions of people across multiple countries. So this wasn't just a small regional or, or local or domestic effort. Uh, and I loved what one of the researchers said about the study. She said, uh, her name is Jennifer Aker, 
She says, basically, when we enter the workforce around 23 years old, we fall off a humor cliff. We don't start laughing again until age 70. That's 47 very serious years. And despite the fact that studies have shown that laughter can decrease stress, that it can increase our our feel-good chemicals, our endorphins, uh, that can even have a positive effect on the immune system, there are a lot of folks in the workplace, bosses especially, who sometimes shy away from allowing humor to flourish because there's a thought that, you know, serious people doing serious things shouldn't bring that in. And so... What I liked about this article was its advocacy for finding humor at work. Uh, and they make the argument that you don't have to be a comedian. It's not about constantly cracking jokes, but it's being open to humor and accepting it and welcoming it. So, Alyssa, how do we help our boss heroes get better at allowing space for humor in the workplace? You mean other than just getting on TikTok? Um. <laughs> hey, if that's what it takes, though, right? I mean, if you if you go to lunch and you see something on your phone that makes you crack up and you go like this and you hold your phone up to a member of your team and it makes them laugh, I mean, I call that a win. I do, too. I think it it makes me a little uncomfortable. And I think maybe that's why we fall off that humor mm-hmm. cliff is because what gets clear becomes more gray in the workplace. You're like, is that appropriate? Can somebody take offense? I'm not sure. Well, they think it's funny too. Or then well, or will they not? And then they think I'm silly or stupid or, you know, like it goes to this whole other different realm of questioning mm-hmm. of ourselves. Um, and so maybe that's, you know, one of the reasons why, um, it feels so um, difficult to be funny in the workplace because there's a lot of vulnerability in it. We're so afraid to say or do the wrong thing. Um, those boundaries, think, those you know, knowing that we have to observe boundaries, but right. not always knowing if what we find funny is what other folks find funny. Yeah, and I think that you know, as a as a <laughs> Again, recovering HR professional, mm-hmm. I, you know, I I continually go to all of those illustrations in my head of time after time of, you know, having to discipline folks for things that were not funny. They they think that that's mm-hmm. what it, you know, that's what the uh, excuse, quote unquote, is or the rationale is. But I also know for a fact that I had some good laughs at um, my workplaces. And I would also remark, speaking of the cliff, that I had to be over the edge so that folks would come closer to it. Mm. So I viewed that as my one of my jobs as a boss, right? I had to be a little bit outlandish. I had to be willing to be silly. Uh, So for me, it looked like wearing crazy hats from time to time. Mm. Um, I had um, someone that I worked with that thought <laughs> that thought that when I wore like this one particular um, headband, I had a huge giant bow in it in my hair. 
she thought that was the funniest thing ever. And it agitated actually the crap out of her because she thought it was ridiculous. And so I made sure to wear that at least once a month, even if it was just for an hour while I saw her so that she could, you know, get a laugh and and think of me as ridiculous. Um, I think that lightens the load, right? Mm -hmm. If we can be silly and start with ourselves. So for me, what's most comfortable is to make fun of myself Yes. Uh, because that to me is always going to be funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then I don't have to worry about whether or not it offends somebody else because I'm offending myself if, if yes. no one else. Right. Um, what about for you, Joe? I mean, you have this great stage presence. You have the ability to entertain and it seems so seamless for you. How do we help bosses find their humor bone? How do we oh. find that comfort level with with entertainment in the workplace? Yeah, I love what you said about the boss as the person who can role model. I'm paraphrasing what you said, but who can role model where the boundaries are and who by by maybe cracking their own jokes or or being silly in their own way are are both framing where those lines are. And simultaneously giving people permission to be funny and to laugh at work. And so I I think that's a a, a great point that you just made. We have to be thoughtful about what those boundaries are, right? I always always tell folks, like, just avoid religion, politics, and sex. You know, all the best parts of the weekend. Just don't bring those (laughs) into your humor if you can help it. That was a funny joke. Thanks. I I try. Um, But... We we can infer in ways that are funny, right? Mm. You know, there's the guy at work who end who ends who responds to every comment with a "That's what she said," and maybe it's funny the first time, and, and probably inappropriate. Uh, but the forty second time, now it's inappropriate, right? Um, right. So my advice to bosses is not so much about how you can be funny. In as much as about is about noticing when laughter is happening, hmm. I th- I think if you notice laughter, try to pay attention to what prompted it, and then duplicate that. Hmm. When it's happening, lean into it and me- leave a little bit more space for it. If you're if you're doing a you know if you bring a camaraderie question of the week from our podcast to your team and it. It, it, it brings some really great energy and some laughs and you were planning to spend five minutes on it in the meeting, but let it go 10, you know, and, and move the, the, uh, the space open a little bit for it. Try to extend it and consider ways to follow that path again in the future. It, it occurs to me I should shout out a, a friend of mine, a colleague of mine named uh, Drew Tarvin, Andrew Tarvin. Um, he is a, a fellow speaker uh, and uh does a lot of uh, educational work around bringing humor into the workplace. He's also a comic. And so he really has a gift for for being funny. He wrote a book mm. called Humor That Works, The <laughs> Missing Skill for Success and Happiness at Work. And I th- actually think he just did a LinkedIn learning course about how to be funnier at work. And so um, we will link to Drew uh, on our show notes as well and to his book, because that may be another tool for bosses to think about. Awesome. Awesome. I love this, this thought pattern of it might not be your job and you may not ever be comfortable being funny, but it could be your job to hold the space for funny. Yes, absolutely. 
All right, folks, are you getting something out of our show? If so, would you take two minutes right now to leave us a review? If you're on Apple Podcasts, just scroll down to the bottom of the list of episodes, click write a review, and drop a few sentences on what you like about our show. It takes just two minutes, but it is a big help to us. Alyssa and I would be truly grateful. Then help us spread the word. Open up your LinkedIn or Facebook app and post. Hey, if you manage people, check out the Boss Better Now podcast. It's really good. That means the world to us, and it helps invite more people just like you into our orbit so that we can continue our pursuit of our mission to fill workplaces with better bosses. And so in the interest of our theme today, our opening of our 80s hair band welcome, the conversation we had about the toys that defined our childhood, I'm going to close with this today. All right, folks, I get it. There are lots of days when being a boss rocks you like a hurricane. It's bad medicine, and you think, here I go again on my own. But you know what? Try to enjoy the hysteria. After all, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And even if you're once bitten twice shy or headed for a heartbreak, at the end of the day, this work isn't poison. Combine a little bit of patience with something to believe in, and this job may just end up being the love of a lifetime. That's our show. Thanks for watching. We hope you'll tune in again next week. This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit JoeMall.com today. Hey, Boss Heroes, check it out. One of the phone calls I get most often is the we have one person here who really needs help phone call. The leader on the line tells me about an abrasive executive, a manager not meeting the needs of his or her team, or two physicians who can't overcome conflict. Their question is always the same. Do you have any training I could provide for this person? I have to tell them the uncomfortable truth. Theirs is a problem that training won't fix. The problems these leaders describe require a different solution, coaching. A professional coach helps people explore new ways of thinking and operating while examining the root causes of their own behavior. When someone needs to examine their approach, adjust their style, become more adaptable, clarify goals, or navigate conflict, there's only one coach I recommend, our own Alyssa Mullet. Alyssa is a professional and executive coach who works one-on-one -on -one with clients to tackle the issues that live behind closed doors. Experienced, credentialed, and revered by her clients, Alyssa can help you or any leader struggling on your team design a path to achievement and professional success. I've sent Alyssa to clients all over the country, and they rave about her every time. Every single time. So if you have that one leader who is struggling, or that one leader is you, I strongly encourage you to invest in coaching. For more information on working with Alyssa or to get a quote, visit joemall.com forward slash coaching.